working cap managing working capital is a huge part that I think people don't understand. The biggest it's the biggest downfall. That's why companies don't exist. Um, they 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 go out of business. If you look at the SBA, they talk about how many small businesses fail. I will tell you that working capital is probably the biggest thing that kills people. They just don't really understand how much cash they have to have their operating business. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara. This is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with James Harhai. James is a strategic, forward-thinking, and entrepreneurial executive with 20 plus years of experience leading operational strategy, financial planning and analysis, product management, and MA. Um, James, I your, your bio is super interesting. I'm I'm uh, excited to really hear everything about what what you do here but i just want to start by saying thank you thank you for coming on the show today thank you for taking out the time i really appreciate it thank you for the invite it was uh, i'm looking forward to it yeah me too can can you just just start with with your story your background kind of what brought you into um business and and then we'll kind of dive in from there yeah it's interesting it all started probably when i was 12 years old and um i came from a First generation, my mother came over from Cuba um, as a small child uh, when Fidel took power. Her family uh, sent her and her sister on a plane to Miami to live with relatives she'd never even met before. And um, so we, you know, had to rebuild, start over from scratch down in uh, Miami. My mother moved up to the, a little bit north in the wet, uh, Treasure Coast area. That's where I grew up in my life. And about 12 years old, we were living below the poverty line. Um, I joke, I said, you know, with my wife, sometimes when we talk about the risk we take and I say, well, Hey, I've eaten government cheese and government peanut butter. It can't get much worse. Um, you know, we've got, uh, it's not, you know, if we make a bad deal, life will go on. And, um, so at 12 years old, my parent, my mom came to me and said, Hey, you're going into middle school. If you want, um, you know, money to buy clothes. I was the oldest of six. And uh, being the oldest, uh, all my brothers, all my brothers wore my hand-me-downs, but I always had to have the new clothes. And she said, "We want you to work this summer so you can buy some clothes for uh, for your middle school." So I went and got a job with the my stepfather's family owned a roofing company. So at 12 years old, I went out and I learned how to tear roofs off of buildings in Florida, and uh, put them back on. And did that for you know six eight weeks, and then took the money and went to uh, Sears at the time and bought my uh, school clothes, and that was pretty much going to make it until I got to Christmas, and then Christmas would be the, my next allotment of clothes at that point. And um, so, but it it started off there with the family, you know, family run roofing company. Uh, my my family then branched out and started doing uh, floor cleaning for a company uh, drugstore called Eckerd's. So we were the big, you know, we did that for them. Uh, some on nights and weekends, I would work uh, mostly overnights. We would work and clean floors off the floors, clean the floors for um, different drug stores and auto parts store. So I, I've got a real understanding of entrepreneurship and, and understanding taking pride in something that you own. Uh, ended up going to University of Central Florida in Orlando. 
enjoyed that school because it was relatively young. Um, it was founded in 1963, so it was only 40 years old or 30 years old at the time, and uh, got the opportunity to help build that university uh, and see, you know, grow, grow tradition and grow, pop, grow stuff at that point. Then uh, graduated from college, uh, ended up working uh, for Disney World for a little while, about six years, started off as a lifeguard, uh, worked my way into middle management. 9-11 uh, happened and I decided um, I saw the huge flattening of the uh, organizational chart and I said well where is this going to lead me in the next five years as everything just gotten flattened out and the positions that were my next uh, my next career jump were all gone and um, I decided I went back to Disney and I said hey I want to move to um, a different department I was in what we called recreation and there wasn't a hotel GM or vice president in a company that ever came from recreation. They always came from rooms, they came from parks, they came from housekeeping, they came from all the retail. They never, nobody came from recreation. So I said, you know what, I need to move. Uh, Disney uh, told me, nope, we really like you where you are. You're really valuable to us. You're, you've really done great things, but we want you to stay where you are. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And um, there was no timeline to it. It was just kind of like, hey, we want you to stay here. So at that time, a friend of mine from college, uh, his parents were selling a military manufacturing plant uh, in Melbourne, Florida, which I knew the area. And um, I went from being a recreation develop, business development manager to saying, you know what, I'm going to go do military electronics. So I went to this little shop in Melbourne. They had 13 or 15 employees. Did about a million dollars in revenue, and it was just mom and pop, and worked there for a couple of years, learned the business, um, uh, developed that business uh, uh, from you know up to four million dollars in gross revenue and and fifty employees. I had an opportunity to sell it to uh, somebody higher on the food chain that wanted to get it, uh, add that that vertical. So I sold it, and um, during that time, Disney came back to me and said, "Hey, we want you to come back and be a vendor for us." So I it was a vet. I kept that vendor business with them. I've been running the Disney arcades, uh, op, you know, maintenance operation for 20 years now. And uh, was semi-retired. My my youngest was born and I was semi-retired, my wife. And we spent a lot of time with our annual pass at Disney and, and uh, having fun with the kids. And then uh, just had that burning desire to go build something else. So then we started, uh, started two more companies up, uh, a management company for amusement parks and then a uh, lifeguard training company. And took those companies um, pretty much from zero to uh, you know one over a million, one over $3 million in sales in about five years and uh, continue to do that. And then we look at additional opportunities. Now, my model primarily is uh, I, people ask, somebody asked at a party the other day, like, what do you do for a living? I have no idea what you do. You know, I just know you travel a lot and you're, you know, in you know, I know your wife and what do you do? A neighbor was like, and I said, my primary job is I fix problems. I go to people and I say, okay, you have a problem. I fix it. It doesn't matter if it's manufacturing, if it's uh, service, if it's training, uh, we, you know, IT, we can do any, I can figure out anything. So I have a very good skill set to be able to take problems, simplify them, explain them employees, set up processes, and then be able to walk away and then just check into it. So I primarily try to hire business unit leaders who will run those companies. 
So that allows me the opportunity to have six or seven companies functioning all at one time and uh, not have to be involved in the day-to-day uh, just you know, supporting my man, supporting my business unit leaders, and uh, trying to think strategically about the future, and then what other opportunities might have. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I mean, the the backstory is is you know sort of inspiring. I think for for people that you know come from uh, you know humble humble beginnings that you know you just you just need to put in the work and you can grow and and sort of get to to a, a place of of you know <laughs> semi-retirement at a, at a young age but also I mean I we'll talk we'll talk about all I, I also the just the growing companies um you know maybe even probably not completely unrelated but sort of not all within the same exact vertical in terms of um you know the service or or products provided. So let me just sort of go back to, you know, sort of your, your growing up and, and, you know, went to college and all of this. I mean, you, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, your humble beginnings and, uh, you know, sort of go- government peanut butter and, and things like that. I, I, I uh, understand that, that, that concept. There's a lot of times where I, where I do think it's like, well, can't, can't be worse than, uh, you know, sort of the way I have lived so it's kind of mm-hmm. like you hit a, you hit a hard time maybe maybe that helps prepare you for it but um th- then you went on to college and your i guess the, the process as you were going you you talked very you know, sort of matter of fact about it i i can't imagine that it was like quite as easy as a <laughs> of a um you know sort of stepping stones as as you mentioned but all of those pieces along the way, I would imagine helped contribute to, you know, sort of where you are today and, and sort of what 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 your uh, career entrepreneurial path has has become. Yeah, I Do- mean, the, you know, I, I try to explain to my kids, they'll never really understand it. But we, when I was a kid in elementary school, I was the only Hispanic kid in the school. And that's crazy when you think about it nowadays, when you look around our demographics of our country. But at that time in our market uh, in Fort Pierce and Fort St. Lucie, there was an elementary school, I was the only one. And I was kind of this outcast, unusual kid because we were, it was a heavily segregated area. It was actually a forced segregation. They were busing, fam, um, you know, different races from different parts of town to make sure that each club, because they had, um, uh, at that time, there was two rural cities in the county, and Fort Pierce was primarily African American. Uh, Fort St. Lucie was primarily uh, white, and they were for- force busing kids back and forth between the schools to try to get the percentages to the right level. And then I was this unusual brown kid in the class, um, and there were a lot of uh, fights in the in the on the playground because of you know I, nobody. I didn't have a, I didn't have a group. I had, I was by myself a lot of times. And, um, but that, that brought a certain resilience to me as I grew up to really understand I got to be a fighter. Um, and, and I learned, you know, um, luckily I learned by, by the time I got to sixth or seventh grade fighting, physical fighting wasn't necessarily the, the right answer. It was more, um, you know, mental fighting and mental uh, preparation. And I had to be smarter than everybody else. 
um, and find ways, but I was also able to learn how to um, build constituents and build, you know, build partners and not have to be the the outsider um, at that point. So it helped me on that part. And then, you know, being the oldest, you know, at probably 10 years old, and I had my youngest sibling is, is 10 years younger than me. When she was born, I was pretty much the babysitter when I came home from school. So do homework, babysit, um, you know, cook, cook dinner, get everything ready because the parents were working or going out to work at that point. And I learned how to manage five siblings uh, pretty quickly to make sure that it wasn't uh, that we all were progressing in that point. And the interesting part is of the five siblings I have, one is in property and real estate. He's an entrepreneur in real estate. One is a entrepreneur in welding. He's a welding uh, welder, owns his own company doing that. Another one's a real high level um, uh, um, salesperson in the medical field. And then um, my other brother is in Utah and he does really well on uh, you know, developing stuff. He's more, more family centric. And then my youngest sister uh, has a PhD and is in uh, a disability education. And uh, she has a PhD there. And it's kind of an interesting group that, you know, the, the six of us, you would never, the odds were against us, but we all, you know, and it had a great family upbringing and we, it was, we were kind of a Brady Bunch family. We were, uh, you know, divorced, have 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 no true brother i have two i have one half brother two half sisters and two stepbrothers you know we were writing that brady bunch kind of thing where there was there was three of us two of us and then um and then one you know one half sibling for all of us that we shared so it was an interesting combination but we you know we did really well um and it was primarily understanding um diversity and understanding how to, uh, you know, and my parents really drove this to, hey, you're going to go to college. You know, even growing up, um, my parents had a rule that we couldn't get our driver's license for Eagle Scouts. So we all became Eagle, all the boys became Eagle Scouts so that we could get our driver's license. And um, so there was a lot of um, hard work, but reward kind of tied to them in the process. Yeah. And I think that's uh, obviously successful family you know successful siblings your parents did did a lot right that's it in instilling that work ethic um i i know i've done roofs i know what uh being on a roof in the summer uh is like i'm sure in florida it's even worse i was up in yes. new england so it's <laughs> i know i know how hot that can be that's that's hard work but it is it just you know again the, all of that kind of teaches you you know sets you up for for success uh you know kind of down the line when you were, so you were at Disney and then um, that the company came, you, you bought the company, right? That the, the electronics company came up for, for sale and you, you bought it at that point. Yeah, I joke it was, it was 2007, I think it was 2006, 2007. And I joked that it was at the time when the banks were just throwing money out the window, um, you know, and I literally got a million dollar loan with $50,000 that I had saved up and, you know, 5% down uh, kind of loan. And, you know, you don't see that kind of, you never, you know, I haven't seen those kind of offers before ever again since that, since the 2007 area. So I got very lucky on the timing part of that, but yeah, we, um, you know, we just, you know, when we moved to Melbourne, my wife and I were just like, okay, we're going to, 
we're going to live in a one bedroom apartment. We're going to save all of our money. We got to get this, we got to get this money saved up. I worked with a group here in Orlando called Prospera and they helped me find the right bank at the time it was CIT. They helped, you know, come up with a loan and help me with the business plan and help me with all that. It was a, they're a nonprofit that work with um, small business owners here in Orlando. And they did a great job of helping me understand that. And it was, you know, a little bit of luck, but you know, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, when I, the funny part was I, I bought the company and then um, we started the um, uh, Iraqi invasion. There was an Iraqi invasion in 2009, 2010, somewhere in that range where we started another, you know, an invasion there. And then um, I, I made so much money that first year. I mean, it was because the government turned around and said, okay, we need all the SATCOM because we work with Harris Corporation in Melbourne and we need all the SATCOM for the, you know, for this. And we built up a huge amount of stuff. And um, I made all this money and then I turned around and I, and I looked at all my employees and I said, well, I've got all these employees and the, the work kind of just shut off because all the money then went to different types of things, all the communication equipment was bought. And I just expected it to be, okay, this is going to be, every year is going to just be like this. This is going to be awesome. And I kept my payroll at that same level, even though we probably had 10% of the work for like six months and realized that, that there was no call. There, the phone wasn't ringing at that point and almost bankrupted the company uh, and um, ended up having to do a layoff, which are, I, I fired a lot of people in my life, but layoffs I always have a really hard time with because I feel like at that point I failed my employees. If we've gotten to a layoff point, then I I feel like I've I failed you. If I if I fire you because you're an idiot, you don't show up to work, you stole from me, and you you did something really stupid, I, I have no problem firing you on that. I, I can go to bed the next night and I'm like, hey, you, you caused that problem for yourself. I didn't do that to you. Um, I always tell my employees if I if I fire you and and you don't know that it's coming, I failed you as a manager. So that, and that that's kind of our strategy is. But whenever I have to do a layoff, I had to do a massive layoff in Melbourne. Um, you know, and uh, I remember not sleeping and trying to figure it out and really worried that it was going to hit bottom and um, was able to cut costs. Uh, you know, I took um, had to lay off a great production manager at that time and I had to become the production manager and the, the CEO and the accounting person. And I did all the jobs to keep it going and we kept it going. And then we hit the next October fiscal year. And we started getting orders again uh, on other projects and stuff like that. It was able to recover and build back up from there. But um, it was a it was definitely a learning process and a learning curve that as an owner, I had to understand to right size my staffing based on the business demand and not just keep expecting, uh, uh, you know, that to come in. And in and, and that market, it was really weird because you really couldn't do a whole lot of sales and marketing. We were at the whim of Lockheed Martin Harris. If, if they got contracts, yeah, we would get work. If they didn't, they get contracts. But I had no, I had no sales channel. I was just picking up the phone and saying, okay, yeah, you need a thousand cables. Okay, I'll build you a thousand cables. You need, you know, this. I'll build you that. And um, we were very dependent on other things. So that's another reason I didn't like that business model. Um, there wasn't a lot of control on my part. And then it was very capital intensive. You know, we would get a million dollar order, um, and it would be 70 percent material costs. And, um, you know, sometimes the building time would be three, four months. I would have to carry that, that working capital cost a lot of times. Um, sometimes they would give us some money, you know, some progress payments, things like that. But 
they were getting away from progress payments. They wanted us to just deliver and get paid. Um, I did get them to do better terms, you know, more efficient terms, but it was still like there was a huge working capital carrying, which is another thing. I was still, I was joking with somebody about this the other day. We were talking about small business, and I said working capital was probably the other largest learning curve I learned in, in owning companies is that you look at your P&L and you're like, okay, man, I made all this money. And then you're like, but where's the cash in the account? <laughs> you know, the IRS says they want they want a check, and I, you know, because I said I made three hundred thousand dollars, but that three hundred thousand dollars is now working capital to go build the next thing or do the, you know, buy product, payroll, et cetera. Um, at that point, in working cap, managing working capital is a huge part that I think people don't understand. The biggest, it's the biggest downfall. That's why companies don't exist. Um, they, they, they go out of business. If you look at the SBA, they talk about how many small businesses fail. I will tell you that working capital is probably the biggest thing that kills people. They just don't really understand how much cash they have to have to operate the business. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. I, I mean, I, and I think it's uh, probably a, a, a lesson, you know, people that, people that make it, it's probably a, a lesson learned oftentimes the hard way like you did mm -hmm. that hey we, we we really do need some some cash in the bank we need to have something to you know because it's not always going to be in in any business it's always not always going to be sort of a linear upward progression of increase in revenue it just you, it's not going to happen so you have to be uh understand that you know there's going to be some ups and downs whether it's seasonal or if it's contract work or whatever the case may be you have those those challenges um and so, you know, that, that's a valid reason, I think, uh, very valid reason for for maybe not liking that business. But but then you went on to uh, purchase other businesses or, or start other businesses. So maybe you could talk about how you at this point with the experience that you have, like, what's your kind of ideal way to either start or acquire a business and um, and and sort of grow from there? You know, I think, well, one of the lessons I learned very early at Disney was you've got to have passion in what you do, you know, and one of the things I tell my employees as well is that when they talk about their job and we do review performance reviews, things like that, I always tell them, I said, um, make sure you love what you do. And um, if you don't love what you do, if you don't wake up in the morning excited about it, I tell them, you know what, go find another job. And I said, I won't take it personal. Just go find another job. I said, you spend more time. The two most, the two things you spend the most time doing in life are working and sleeping. That's the honest truth. I said, so I always tell them, find a job you like and buy a good mattress because that's the key yeah. to happiness. Because, you know, I mean, I see my kids, you know, maybe two hours a day, maybe three if I'm lucky. In reality, I'll see them before they go to school and a little bit afterwards. And then, you know, sometimes on the, you know, the weekends, if they're not in activities or anything else like that, but I see my employees a good solid 40, 50 hours a week, <laughs> you know? And um, so I better like all the people I work with at that point. And so what I look at from my angle is I look at working capital, you know, from my end where I'm not, you know, I, I want to be careful about, it. I look at working capital. The other thing I tell people is, you know, I had a, a cousin who wanted to start a, she wanted to stop being a doctor and become a baker. And I, I had to sit down with her and kind of like, okay, let's run through the math real quick. Okay. How many cakes, how much do you make per cake? Okay. What's your real profit on how many cakes you make? Okay. All right. And then how much money do you make a day? 
Okay. All right. Can you sell 42 cakes a day? No, you cannot. <laughs> You're not by yourself, you know, and, uh, so I think you have to look at things that one, you're you're very excited about it, you're excited about the opportunity, but you also have to make sure the cash flow works. Um, you know, not and I think you also have to be, especially a small business owner, is it has to be something you're you're knowledgeable about, you want to be able to get involved in. Um, and because it takes a it takes a while to get to the point where you can step back and not have to be a hands-on owner. Um there's very little, you know, I always, another joke I have with the employees and my friends is that I, I've never had more bosses I've had until I became a small business owner. Because realistically, my employees are my boss because they're important to me. I've got to keep them happy. I can't, um, I'm not the type of person where I'm just like, okay, we'll, we'll just rinse and repeat. I want, I want loyal, good employees. So I've got, they're my customers in a sense. And then I've got vendors who I've got to work with, whether it's on getting me product on time giving me flexible terms. I've got to have good relationships with them. Then I have my customers um, that I'm selling to uh, that have to be good. So, I, you know, you think, okay, so I'm the owner, you know, life's great. I don't have to answer to anybody. If anything, I, the small business owner, I got to answer to everybody. Um, I don't answer to nobody. I answer to everybody is kind of how I look at it. And that patience is, uh, something that you got to have if you don't have it as a small business owner. And if all this other stuff is causing stress, that's just going to be one more piece of it. So I think from when I look at trying to acquire a new business, the key pieces I look at are one, um, you know, what's the margins on it? What's the return on it? You know, and what the asking price is, uh, you know, for a while now, it's been really difficult to buy businesses because, um, you know, the market the, the multiples have been out of whack. And then, and especially in our market in the amusement world, it's been difficult because we had, I call it the sugar rush to 21, 22, where the consumer spending was just out the window. You couldn't explain why people were, you know, your per cap, your average spending on food was double what it was in 2019. And it wasn't just inflation. People were just spending money, whether it was the free government money, whatever it was, it's hard to multi, you know, then, you know, some of the parks had their best years ever. And then people turn around and they said, uh, you know, they're like, oh, not now it's time to sell. And we want to sell in the last few years, uh, an eight times multiple on that. And you're like, you, you know, when you're deep down in your heart, that that's not the honest answer is that the last two years are not going to be repeatable. Um, so you've got to, so it's been kind of a stagnant piece of that. I think there are opportunities coming, uh, even though capital has gotten very tight. I think there's opportunities coming. Uh, I've talked to a few people. I think there is some opportunities and, uh, you know, the, the problem right now in this market is that young people have no capital. I mean, they have some of the smallest amounts of capital that we've ever seen. And the boomers have tons of assets, but don't know how to liquidate them. And they want to retire. Um, and then you've got the people kind of my group who are like, okay, but we're outnumbered by the boomers. You know, we're not, we're outnumbered by the boomers and the young people don't have the cash to buy the company. So I think there's going to be some interesting opportunities in the next five years of being able to get really good multiples uh, in the, in that marketplace to go out and buy. Uh, and it could be a combination. It could be simple things like small little, small little shops. It could be consulting shops. It could be accounting firms. It could be, it's going to be all over the place, but there's going to be a, it's going to be a buyer's market in the next five years as long as we can figure out interest rates 
uh, a normal level uh, in that time period. So we, and we, I guess we have similar, um, I guess, projections and, and problems in, in real estate where it's, uh, you know, it, the, the past few years have been so out of whack for what's normal, um, both, you know, sort of, I guess you could look at it as good and bad, um, depending on, you know, which side you're on. But the the fact is, you know, you have to pivot and adjust and, and kind of go with, with whatever uh, the times present and, and what that means for opportunities. In in the meantime, as, as far as, you know, sort of growth within your existing businesses, what, what strategies do you use? I know you mentioned, you know, that first business marketing wasn't really uh, a, a much of an option. So, I mean, how, how do you like to work to grow your businesses? You know, we look at, we've been primarily more on the startup side. Um, we've done M&A, you know, we, we've done startups and then M&A to help grow the market share. We've done that. But what I look for is what's broken in the market, you know, and that's how we got into like the lifeguard business. You know, we looked at the lifeguard business, uh, training, lifeguard training, and they're primarily two companies. There was American Red Cross, who's a big, you know, um, almost like government style company where it's, you know, you know, and, and it's kind of an interesting business model. And then there was another company, Ellis, who was more of the private. And they had driven, they had gone to both extremes, you know, both extremes of the market. And there was nothing down the middle of the path. So we said, you know what, there, people are kind of upset that they want, they want a middle path. And we were able to develop a product that, it was more centric uh, style, and that 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 resonated very well within the industry for us. Um, and then, even on the management side, we looked at opportunities where there were people, investors who would go out and buy a, a water park in town, and they, you know, they were lawyers, doctors, et cetera, banks. They'd buy a water park, and then they'd have no idea what they're doing. They put their nephew in charge of it, and it wouldn't make any money. So we looked at that market as saying, okay, there are banks and, and high net wealth individuals who buy these assets thinking they're going to be easy. And then they realize they're not. So we come in and help them out with that. I think the part, part that we look at the most is um, really, we don't, we want to find markets that are underserved. That's our, that's our strategy. We don't have the resources to go against the big boys and try to take them down, but we, we do a great job of getting customer affinity. You know, our customer loyalty is very high because it doesn't matter if I have to lose, you know, if the customer, if we do something wrong, we're going to make it right. It doesn't matter if we're going to lose money on it. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. We're going to make it right. And our customers understand that and they appreciate that. And they know that we're always going to stand behind whatever we say. What, you know, if we give them a price and it's really bad, we'll deal with it. And we'll just, we'll suck it up and we'll make it. We're not going to, we're not the people that come back and say, oh, we're going to have to double the price for half of the project because, um, you know, we messed up. And, uh, and we also know that we're not egotistical in the sense to tell people like, um, we listen to our customers, listen to our employees and say, okay, is there a right way to do this? Um, it's not about the ego of our leadership and stuff like that. Our you know, we don't look at, if you look at my companies, there's not any high ego people. It's all more servant. Uh, we call it more servant leadership kind of concept. And that has resonated well with our employees and our given us great employee loyalty. You know, before COVID, I probably had 
maybe two or three employees leave a year, uh, you know, a hundred or so. And, and they were primarily people who that I encouraged to leave because they needed opportunities. And, um, you know, the hardest part of the company sometimes also is you have these pyramid organizational charts, especially small business where you got an owner, you got a VP, you got maybe a manager and you got a lot of uh, hourly employees underneath them and they don't have opportunities to move up. So what we try to do is help them find um, opportunities outside of our company. And then what we find is they become great customers or, or great vendors or great other, you know, we have that relationship with them already and they become great customers, they become great vendors and we watch their career grow and then you never know, our VP may leave and that's the opportunity to come bring them back into the fold at that point. Now that they have more experience, uh, they can bring us back new new thoughts and strategies at that point. Yeah, I love that that concept. I mean, it, it ultimately business is is about people, right? It's it's you know the the you leverage you leverage technology and systems and all of that, but but ultimately at the end of the day, it's about people and um, treating people right within your businesses. Uh, as as you, I, I love the the example of you know kind of helping find them opportunities even outside of the company that can help let them grow and then and then maybe they come back with uh you know bigger um at, at a higher level i guess in their in their progression that can can help your business in turn so i think it's always thinking about those relationships and just you know not at that moment right it's like this is you know building these relationships with people you know kind of for the long term however it turns out and i think that's that's a very smart way to just kind of always be building for the future and building building goodwill um with with the folks that that you work with or they work for you whatever in whatever capacity so i think that that's phenomenal um james i want to i want to get to switch gears here so I, I can ask you the questions i ask every guest um the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why um what's your what's your why you've you've been very successful um you started you know kind of making things happen at a young age and and continued you had you had a, a point at which you were semi-retired but it seems like maybe that's <laughs> doesn't suit you but what 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 is your why what's what's driving you um at this point yeah i i really like seeing things improve you know one of the key um one of our key values within all of our companies is we call it evolve and the comment that I tell my employees is that if we don't improve today, we'll be gone tomorrow. And I, I always tell them that I said, we've every day we got, we come in and we've got to be a little bit better. You know, let's find a process that does it. And I, I really get value out of that. I get, I get my joy. I get more joy out of seeing my employees evolve. My companies evolve. Our customer reviews improve. I get more value out of that than anything I'll ever get out financially out of the company, to be honest. And um, there's been many times, you know, I joke, I, I probably could have retired again already if I was probably a little more cutthroat, a little more um, uh, greedy, but I, I really don't, that's not the part that drives me. The checking account doesn't drive me. Um, you know, we, we look at things and we say, I want it to sustain. I want it to survive. And I want it to be, uh, I want my employees to be able to, you know, uh, move on. And my customers really appreciate that we solve problems and we do things. And that's where I get my joy. When I, 
when I see like, hey, this is going on and I see how we built things, that's that gives me the happiness. Uh, the checkbook doesn't. The check, you know, don't get me wrong. We're not we're not struggling by any means, but we're also, uh, you know, there's been many times in the year where I'm not the highest paid employee in the company, you know, and I don't have, you know, that's not, that's what drives, it's not, that's not what drives me. It's like, Hey, if you do a really good job and I gave you a bonus commission and you kicked it out of the park, um, you know, you may make more money than I do this year and that's fine. Now I have equity and I have other things and I'll make my money on selling the company in the future. That's how I look at the financial part of it. But um, there's been a lot of times where it's just like, Hey, we need to do this. And that's what it is. But the, the thing that drives me every morning, gets me up in the morning is, Seeing the improvements and uh, and being able to solve solve problems for my customers, my employees, my guests, and make better experiences. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's it's fun, right? It's kind of. I mean, joke is I I make money doing fun. I I make money having fun. I mean, and that's the great thing about the industry. It's kind of driven me back. You know, I never would have thought in the amusement side that I would be. You know, I became a lifeguard at. 20 years old that I'd still be doing this in my my late 40s that I'd still be around lifeguards and stuff like that yeah. I've gone past the point now where I tell people all right I was a lifeguard in 1996 raise your hand if you were alive I can't do that anymore <laughs> yeah you know there's no more lifeguards you know now they're uh they're much old you know they're like 96 I'm even you know I think my parents might have been born in 96 so <laughs> but you know it's it's crazy but you know it's 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 a fun thing. You know, I, I, I go to, uh, I get to go to a lot of water parks and amusement parks and I get to ride rides. And anytime we acquire a park, I bring my bathing suit and I go on every single ride. I want to know what's good and bad about it. If it's operating right. Um, I'm, I'm the first one to go. Uh, you know, last week we, I'm working on a project in Punta Cana and, um, and, our, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to open a water park down there. I'm working with a great owner down there and, uh, he wanted to have a big bang event for his grand opening. Uh, water park's a little bit delayed, but we brought in Elton John. So Friday night, I was sitting in the fifth row, you know, watching Elton John perform with a friend of mine, and it was just an amazing experience. And 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 honestly, I was pretty getting paid to do that. I mean, that's what I was doing. Now there was a lot of 12, 14 hour days leading up to that event. And, uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was all for the end. It was all for fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, pretty good, uh, end to a project, I guess. So you get to, <laughs> get to see Elton John in concert. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, tell us something about yourself that, um, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, uh, something to let the listeners know you better. Um, just anything you're, you're comfortable sharing. I am a introvert which is weird. I hate cocktail parties. Cocktail parties and networking sessions are the death of me. And um, I, I am emotionally exhausted when I have to finish one. And um, I do a lot of uh, volunteer work and boards and stuff like that. And even yesterday, I was at a Hispanic Heritage Scholarship thing. And I, I sat in the corner during the networking thing and I just worked on my phone and did phone calls until the networking was done. And then I kind of slid into the, the lunch reception. And, and then I talked to everybody at the lunch uh, at the table we were at. Uh, but I, I really hate that. And people will think like, wait a minute, you're out here, you're running around. I can get in front of a convention with 
10,000 people in it and give a presentation and not have one inch, like, it's just like I'm waking up in the morning and putting my socks on. No big deal. Uh, but you put me in a, a networking or a cocktail thing, or I have to go meet new people. And I'm just, I'm miserable. I'm just absolutely miserable. And it's a weird dynamic. People really are surprised when they tell them that they're like, wait a minute, you're talkative. You're always having a good time. And I, with my close friends and people I'm good with, I'm, 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 I'm easy going and I can have a great time, but I can, I can open up, but in a, in a random thing where I just don't really know what to do with people. And I really have, um, I'm horrible at small talk. That's the honest answer. I, uh, I can relate to that very much. I, the, the, the networking events just killed me. It's, it's really, I try as I might, it's not something that, uh, I, I just can get comfortable with, but it's, uh, I guess it's part of the job. That's the, maybe the you know less what? part of less fun part of the job. The way I look at it is I, I understand my weaknesses and I just hire people to do that for me. So I hire people to go to the networking, go to the trade shows, go to the stuff. And I hire, hire people that are really good at that. And I understand my weaknesses and I say, okay, I'm never going to be a salesperson, but I can, when like I have a customer who's been with us for a while and I get a relationship with them, getting the customer, the first part, the hard time, but once we get them in the door, we're best friends. You know, we're, you know, we, we can, I can sit and talk with them for hours. It's no big deal. Uh, but I, I just have to know my weaknesses and hire around it. Um, one of the things that, you know, when I worked at Disney, we talked a lot about diversity and I always tell my employees is that diversity isn't um, skin color. It's not race, gender, ethnicity, religion. I don't look at diversity. Yes, that's all part of it, but that's not where it ends. And I said, we always need to be looking at our teams from a diverse piece and, and not in, we need to look at our teams and our strengths and our weaknesses and look at, yes, we need a, a female voice on the team. We need a female leader. We need um, different, you know, ethnicities, you know, we different races in there. And we not, not to look at things in a, in a, you know, one way, but we also need to look at it in the angle of, okay, we need a really organized person. We need a worker. We need a, we need a person who's going to push us to have fun, to push us to not just work all day you know, we need that personality on the team and we look at it and it, um, you know, and, and we, and, and that's kind of how I look at diversity a little bit differently than most people, but, you know, we, we try to have a diverse team um, and have different, um, different groups in there, but primarily what we see is, and that's what I think diversity was really meant to be, but it's just, it's hard for people to understand that. So we just made it into, um, you know, simple simplification of it. But, you know, we, we have to look at how we do everything on that part. So, yeah, it's a great point. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that before, but I do think it's a, a actually probably, you know, people talk about having complementary strengths and things like that, but I think it just a, a diversity of, of personality types within a company as well is, is, uh, I think actually tremendously important and you, you don't, you don't want to have you don't want to have a company with all introverts because then there's probably no not much in the way of sales and marketing and you don't yep. you don't want to have a, a a company of all uh you know visionaries because now you don't have those uh kind of integrators and implementers and things like that so it, it's truly um a piece you know certainly don't leave out the other components of diversity but yeah that's an important consideration to to bring in as well i i like the i like the idea behind that 
Um, James, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? You know, um, the easiest, you know, LinkedIn is, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, and then, you know, uh, my my email address, I think is attached here as well. You know, I'm, pre- I'm on my email constantly. Um, but if you want to learn more about me, LinkedIn has some inf- information about the history of my com- myself and areas and things like that. I think, um, you know, we're always looking for talent. We're always looking for opportunities. Um, you know, we have a very open concept of, of what deals look like. That's the other great thing is when you're in small business, you know, the great thing about small business is that we can, every deal can be unique. It doesn't have to be boiler template like uh, corporations when they look at M&A. We look at things very uniquely in the sense of, um, you know, I've got majority of the companies, I'm majority owner, but I also have a couple companies where I'm 10, 20% owner. And I, and I say that because they're the, they're, they want to be the person and I'm just going to support them and, uh, and develop relationships and help them understand how to build their company and, uh, and, and do that part of it. And so they're, so everything is unique. Um, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy, really enjoy this time, Jason, is it's been a great opportunity for me to, to pull, um, to talk about myself and I don't, like I said, I'm not a great marketer myself and everything else. So this is a great opportunity for, for me to do this. And then, um, you know, in a, uh, but that, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I'm very open and honest. You know, I have people that bump into me and they say, Hey, I want to go buy a company. I want to do this. And I, I will sit down with them for a couple hours free of charge and just say, Hey, talk through, like I did with my cousin about baking cakes. Okay. This is going to work or it's not going to work or, Here's your here's your SWOT analysis real quick. These are the things you got to be worried about. Good luck if you want to do it. If you want to um, hire me as a consultant in the process, I'm willing to do that as well. Uh, this is what the deal kind of looked like for me to do that. Um, but I I but I also get joy out of watching them grow and just keep in touch and do things like that. And let's see how we can grow your business and what opportunities there are. Fantastic. Um, I feel like you sort of just answered this question, but generally I, I end with uh, what piece of advice would you give to someone who uh, wants to get started in business? They they want to, they hear this, they're inspired, they want to follow in your footsteps. And I feel like you put put a little bit at it, of that in there. Um, yeah. And, but I'll, I'll know, my, give you the opportunity to, to expand, I guess. You know, my biggest advice is talk to a lot of people. And um, because like when I even did my first one, I went to SCORE, which is, um, uh, you know, a, a government group that does retired executives that do stuff. And it was SB, it's SBA, part of the SBA, I believe. And I went to SCORE and I sat down with a retired executive and he showed him off my financials and it was free of charge. And we sat there and we went through the whole thing. We went through the thing. Uh, Prospera, which is a group that works here in Florida. Uh, I think they're also in the Carolinas and Georgia now. They work primarily with Hispanics, uh, Hispanic groups and do stuff in Spanish as well for people that uh, have English as a second language, they will do free free of charge type of things. So there's opportunities out there, whether through the SBA, through uh, nonprofits that will let, sit down and review everything with you because um, it's a lot harder than you think it is. And talking to people will help you really come up with a great game plan. Um, don't do it in a vacuum. It's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give somebody is really when you do it in a vacuum, there's so many mistakes. I've made them even talking to people. I've made my own mistakes. Um, but I'm, you know, I try to give back, um, 
you know, uh, on that part. We've, I've been a board member of Hespera. I'm a, a I'm financially contributor to them. Um, I do that with UCF as well. Uh, University of Central Florida, we do, I do a lot. I'm on the board, foundation board for them and primarily focusing on helping students, you know, come, you know, entrepreneurial students that want to come up and grow up in the industry and become business owners. Um, but uh, that's the biggest thing is talk to a lot of people. It takes a village to start a small business and, but be careful too, because there are some people out there that, um, that will, you know, charge you money for nothing and, and talk, but talk to the nonprofits, talk to the government agencies as your primary focus, be careful. There's uh, there are some people out there that try to take advantage of people. I've seen it happen before to other people. And uh, I get tons of emails, spam emails, spam phone calls of people trying to sell me stuff that is completely illegitimate. And, um, you know, but then once again, you talk to people and you find out like um, I get phone calls all the time. Like, Hey, I got this in the mail. What the heck is this? And like, it's a spam. It's a scam. Delete it. Get rid of it. Don't do it because they make it sound very official. Official. The the envelopes look very official, especially when you start a company. When you start your first company, you're organized. You're going to get so much junk mail in the first 90 days of everybody in the world. Of uh, you know, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy that. Hello. Uh, yep. No, you were muted for just a second there, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, that it is, uh, that's, that's a really good point for people that, that are trying to start any, like for, form any LLC or anything, open a, open a business bank account. You're just going to get a million pieces of unwanted mail that are, uh, pretty much almost all illegitimate <laughs> stuff almost, trying to get you to or... just send them money. Exactly. They're going to try to get you to sign up for work posters for, for this, for that, you know, domain stuff, marketing stuff. Uh, they, and they, they use all the buzzwords that you hear, everybody hears all the time. Like, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this. They use all the buzzwords and you're just going to waste money and you're never going to get anything out of them. And But that's why it's good to have some a network of um, people that you can call and say, hey, what's this? And they can tell you like, oh yeah, that's a scam or no way. No, you have to pay that tax. <laughs> yeah. Franchise tax is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pay that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I, I think, you know, mentorship has been such a big thing for me uh, in, in you know, I guess anything I've done, but it, it's, it, it's same, you know, kind of along the same lines of what you're talking about. It, it just finding people doesn't, doesn't, I don't mean necessarily paid mentors. You just listed off many different resources for people that, that would be free for them. It's, it's just finding someone to, to talk to about what you're trying to do. And it's not, it's not to discourage; it's to understand the the reality of what um, what you're going to face, and it, it, it's not all going to be it's not all going to be perfect. But uh, it you know there's ways to uh, mitigate some of those challenges by having someone who's been through it and, and talking to them about it. Yep. So, um, James, this was amazing. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. Uh, I think listeners are going to love this episode. So, thank you so much for taking the time out today. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it and the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And folks listening, I know you're going to love this episode. Um, please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like James. And thank you all for listening. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, 
authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?